On today's show, how to address difficult conversations, your questions, our answers, and resources. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 161. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership. And if you listen regularly, you know that once a month on the first Monday of the month, we ask for questions from the Coaching for Leaders community. This month, we had solicited questions on difficult conversations. And I'm so glad to welcome back to the show, Bonnie Stahoviak, who joins us most months to respond to some of these questions. And Bonnie, usually this is the show each month where I've thought about these questions for three or four days and (laughs) thought about all the different ways that we could answer them. And I say something that in my mind sounds okay. And then you've seen the questions three minutes before we get on and you say something brilliant. And that's why I love having you on the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And I, it, I, they really resonate with me. All the questions that we get every month, I think, oh, those are hard questions and important questions. And I'm glad people are feeling vulnerable enough to start to inquire about some of these things. So I'm, I'm enjoying it, although we're all on a road. None of us are perfect and none mm. of us have all the answers. It's humbling to be here because there's, there's a lot to unpack. I know. These are courageous leaders, people that are not just live in the status quo. They're going to do, they're going to do more. So it's fun. And don't you always want to know more? I mean, I always want to have a conversation. I I just wish we could have a conversation with each person. Uh, And thank you to those of you who have written in recently and talked about how you're enjoying the Q&A shows. I'm so glad that that's been helpful to you. So uh, let's jump right in here, Bonnie. This first question comes from Leonardo. And he wrote in and said, I'm one of your fans. I listen to your podcast every day. And he did say every day, although it's a weekly show. So maybe you're re-listening, which is great. Um, And I see better results on my day job of managing an emergency room in a Brazilian hospital. I'm a physician. And today I work as a manager also. I was listening to episode 143 about feedback while I was driving to my job. And I was thinking how difficult it is for me to receive negative feedback. I think that uh, what I struggle with in this situation is emotion and controlling the emotion to respond or give some excuse for that negative perception. When I give any feedback to my employees, I see the same problem. How do I train myself to be better on that? Well, Leonardo, you absolutely have tackled the right episode for this. Uh, Sheila Heen, who was one of the authors of Difficult Conversations, joined us for episode 143 on how to accept feedback. Bonnie, I have a few thoughts here. You want to jump in first? or All right, I'm going to roll in first here. We should probably figure that out in advance. Who's going to answer these questions first, huh? It's going to be you. (laughs) It's always going to be me. (laughs) So, uh, Leonardo, uh, what I would suggest, first of all, is I, I have really found no way to minimize feeling discomfort or, uh, or, or just sadness sometimes or disappointment in getting critical feedback. I think it's, it's a very human and natural place to be to have that kind of feeling when you get a critical feedback from somebody. In fact, if you didn't have that feeling, I would think that that would be more of a concern for me for someone I was working with or coaching. So I know that you're not alone, first of all. So that would be my, my first 
message to you. This is something that I think any good leader really struggles with is um, being able to then separate that out and say, okay, now what can I do with this? So the first uh, strategy that I've used in my career, I know many people have used successfully, is to uh, seek it out. And what I mean by that is uh, there's there's kind of two ways to approach feedback. I suppose there's more, but two ways that come to mind for me. One is is to wait for it to come your way, um, and it will one way or the other. The other way is to go find it. And I found that when I'm proactive and I utilize a a process to go out and search for feedback and really am very deliberate about finding what people are saying and listening to the best of my ability, I find that the feedback still hurts, but that I'm able to often approach it from a much more positive angle and much more of a what can I do with it. And I find that it's tons easier than it is if I just wait for the feedback to come. So one resource I'd really point you to if you haven't already heard it is I had Tom Henschel on in episode 107, and we talked about how to solicit feedback from people. He really talked through a very a very uh, important model for doing that. Um, and one of those things is to when you uh, to regularly ask people, what's something I can start doing that I'm not doing? What's the, something that you would like to see me stop doing? Or what's the, something that you know I'm doing that is working for you? And particularly the what do you what can I start doing and stop doing is a great way to address that proactively with people. And then, of course, whatever they say, just to say thank you, and then to decide later on whether or not that's something that is something you want to take action on, or maybe it's something you just set aside and say, hey, you know, this isn't this isn't an actionable item for whatever reason right now. So approaching it proactively using that model from Tom Henschel, I would certainly um, I would certainly recommend as a way to approach that. Bonnie, what do you uh, what do you have to add? In the past episodes, we have had people on who work in true emergency type situations. And actually, my parents own, or I shouldn't say own, they run a nonprofit that is a search and rescue. They have canines that they train to go out and find lost people. And whenever you're in that, whether it's law enforcement or it's an emergency room kind of situation, or it's it could even be in the military, there are certain times when the most effective way for us to be as leaders is much more of the do what I tell you to do and we'll talk about it later. We'll we'll mm-hmm. get feedback later. So one of the big things that the military has learned and search and rescue organizations that are well run have learned is that we have to have that kind of culture that says there's a time for feedback, but it's not when we're in the moment. So when we're addressing something with a patient that we that's not the right time to be having a lot of time for feedback although we certainly need to have a culture that raises issues when we see them so that if there's a safety risk or something like that you wouldn't want a culture where someone felt like they couldn't speak up to to point and address something that could pose danger but i mean we're talking about the kind of feedback more on the interpersonal level and so it's going to be that much harder for you to carve out the way that Dave has described. So do recognize that culturally, you probably are in an environment that hasn't really created very fertile soil for that kind of really rich feedback that you are speaking of. It is tremendous that you're looking for it. So I would recommend that you follow Dave's advice and be that courageous leader who does that. Be the difference. Be the be the person who is different and actually carves out the time, but it might even help to have something symbolic where 
people know, I mean, this really is the time. And that is where you have to actually go out of your way to start to respond to some of that feedback. And I think as Dave described, if you're the one going out and seeking it, it it does really make it that much easier. Dave's extremely good about doing that, even with me just in our marriage. Uh, And I think it probably makes him feel less defensive because he's the one that went out and, and has sought it out. And it's just, it's a really healthy thing, I think, to keep relationships healthy and and keep that communication open. I did want to mention one other model that I have found really helpful, and that's for when you're getting the feedback that you're not going out and seeking, but it's more that you're starting to get a sense that something is wrong with a, a relationship. There's some, someone's trying to give you feedback, but it's not quite coming across. A lot of times we call that passive aggressive, where you think, something's going on here, but I I don't quite know what it is. It's a little bit from an obscure reference. It's a book called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. And it's by a man named Mahan Khalsa. And it's actually a sales book. And although I find so many of the techniques in this sales book really helpful for me just interpersonally. And so he has this whole model. Again, it's in a sales context, but it certainly relates to real life where he has what are called red lights or green lights. In a sales context, if I got a green light, maybe that means we move on to the next step in the sales cycle. Perhaps we present it to a committee or we work with a VP who will be integral in moving it forward. It might even literally mean a sale. And then, of course, the red lights are going to be, no, we're not moving it forward. We're not interested, what have you. And then it's those yellow lights in life. It's those yellow lights that get to us where our reaction, whether we're driving in traffic and we get that yellow light or interpersonally, if we get that, hmm, something's going on here. I'm not sure what it is. We tend to human nature, put the pedal down and off we go to try to race through that light. And a couple that could come up a couple of ways where I get really defensive and I say, you know, how could you say that? Or what do you even mean? And and the person, we didn't slow down enough to really unpack what, what might be happening there. So he has a three-step process. He says, one, slow down for that yellow light. Two is to say, have the courage to say what you are feeling. Have the courage to name what it is that you're sensing. And then the third step he recommends is to hand it to the person for them to turn red or green. Mm. A simple example he gives in the book is you're meeting with someone. And again, this could be someone that you manage or it could be someone that you are in a sales relationship with. You notice that they look at their watch. And this is a cultural thing. We might just, you look at your watch and I assume, oh, he's got to go somewhere or he's bored or there's all these things I might think about if someone looks at their watch, but We don't do that in this model. Number one is we slow down. We say, I noticed that you looked at your watch. Is the time still good for us to meet or is there somewhere you need to meet? And then we stop talking and hand it to them to let them turn it to red or green. I just used this the other day in one of my classes. I teach at the university level and I had been dividing them into groups on a Monday. They got to choose their groups, but I was experimenting and trying something new with this. And so it did not go as well as I had hoped. And some of the students got angry because their projects hadn't been picked to move forward, or maybe they didn't get to work with the people they had hoped they wanted to. I wasn't saying which groups they had to work with, but it, but it was just, 
it was a messy situation. So I end up fortunately getting to sit down with one of the young women because there weren't enough people to do this small case study. So it was perfect because she and I could sit down and I said, gosh, I just wanted to apologize about the thing that happened on Monday that didn't go the way I had hoped it would. And she said, whatever. Mm. And I <laughs> I went, so that for me, that, that's both a yellow light, but it's also a trigger for me. I get really frustrated and angry when someone does that because to me, that's really passive aggressive. To me, whatever and rolling our eyes means I am still upset about Monday, but we're not, I'm not going to actually engage with you. So I did, but I did that yellow light. I slowed down and I said, I'm not sure what you meant by the whatever. I'm, I'm sensing maybe we're not done talking about what happened on Monday. Can you, can you talk to me a little more? And she said, oh no, I'm, I'm not upset about Monday. I just, I have this cold and it's really, it's really bothering me today. And long story short, I end up going to get her cough drop and she's perfectly fine That's and awesome. Monday's taken care of, but I could have really easily either escalated something that wasn't really there in the first place. And by the way, she may have been angry about Monday, but I really felt it get diffused when I gave her that opportunity because I did care enough to slow down and say it or something else. I'd really like to talk about this so that we can work out if there's something else we should talk about, about what happened. So. It, it's so amazing how much we can learn by asking the question and then being willing to ask the second question sometimes mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we don't really know how to interpret something. And I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned the watch example too. Ever since I, I read that part of the book, I remember that. And ever since I read that, I always ask now when someone looks at a watch or uh, looks at their phone or something like that, And I find it really helpful of just putting it in their court and saying, you know, uh, tell me what's going on. You know, are you, do you need to run somewhere? Is this still a good time? And it's just like you get on the same page with them. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's really helpful from a, from a trust state, trust building standpoint too. So, so uh, Leonardo, I hope that gives you some, some good things to think about. Um, So let's move on to a question here. I think it's from Dow. I think that's the name I'm catching here at the beginning. So uh, let's listen. My name is Dow Tippett, and I'm calling concerning the upcoming episode on questions about difficult conversations, um, and just wanted to ask if you will please give as many resources as possible that I can pass on to others. I had a conversation just this last week with a member of my organization about some difficult conversations he needs to learn to have and how to have them and uh, only really had one resource at the top of my list to give him. And so the most resources I can get would be very helpful. Thank you. Well, hey, Dow, thank you so much for the question. And you used the term uh, resources. Uh, so we're going to take this pretty broad, I think, and just give you a few things to think about around difficult conversations. So first and foremost, my recommendation, if you were just going to read one book on this, it would be the book that's actually called Difficult Conversations. And one of the authors who wrote that book uh, was on the show back episode 143. In fact, uh, Leonardo referred to it in a last question. So that's a it's a good resource. But the book itself is, it's just probably the best framework that I've seen to really break down the elements of a difficult conversation and all of the things that are involved with that. So if, if I was going to pass along one um, what I would call more of a passive resource as far as I was just giving someone something, I would I would recommend the book or even give them that book as a resource. 
And even reading the first couple of chapters would go a long way and just understanding the framework of how to handle difficult conversations when they arise. Um, that said, the book doesn't really address, I, I don't think, the broader implications as far as having relationships with people. And that's um, that's something that really, when I think of, I think of some of the models that we utilize at Dale Carnegie in order to utilize that. And so one thing that's so important as far as having being able to engage in difficult conversations with people, this isn't always possible, but is to have done some work in advance of needing to have difficult conversations, of building strong relationships with people. And in Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, you know, the first two-thirds of that book is how to build rapport and get cooperation of working with others. And it's only really in the last third that he talks about how to then lead and get people to do things differently or even engage in some of those difficult conversations. And I think that's actually a really good model for relationships in general is, um, yes, we all need to have difficult conversations as leaders and just as people, but are we spending the time to build rapport to ask questions about people, to get interested in their lives, to listen genuinely, to care genuinely about them, and to gain cooperation with them so that we have earned the right to be able to then have and engage in those difficult conversations when we need to. Now, as I mentioned up front, that's not always possible to do, but that's something that if if you build that in as part of how you lead and influence others and build relationships with others and earn that trust, then when that difficult conversation needs to happen, it happens in a way where trust is already established. And I find that the conversation is never easy, but easier. And people are more likely to take advice and to engage because they know that you do, or you are looking out for them. Um, and I'm thinking also, Bonnie, about a book that I read uh, back early in my career, uh, the first company I worked for had required reading. Uh, we worked with kids, and one of the required books of reading was called Positive Coaching. Uh, and I'm blanking on the name of the author. It's Jim something. I'll put it in the show notes. But one of the rules that he had for working with kids is 75% positive, 25% negative, or, or constructive criticism. And so I have always used that with with kids and trying to think about how I would work with kids. And I think with relationships in the workplace, too, that's also a good a good starting point for building trust when you do need to have those difficult conversations as well. So those are a few thoughts I have off the top of my head. I know you have other resources too, Bonnie. Well, I Dave and I don't talk about these questions in advance. We think it it actually makes the show go better when we don't know and don't have the all planned out. It's more of a conversation. Which is why sometimes we disagree on some of these or give contrary advice, which you're, I think, about to give. <laughs> I think I might be about to do that. Go for it. I would caution you, Dow, against amassing a big set of resources for difficult conversations. You weren't asking this and and I have this is one of those times we don't really know a lot of the background, but I I think that there are all kinds of excuses that all of us can make around why we don't engage in the difficult conversations. There wasn't enough time. Well, we haven't known each other that long. Well, it's just we're all so busy right now. Well, we're going to wait till the new hire comes on. <laughs> I haven't been managing them long. There's, there's all these, these reasons. It's just uncomfortable. As Dave said, it's a difficult thing to do. That's why we call them 
difficult conversations as opposed to fun and engaging conversations. And I think if we had too many resources that we made available to people, it might amplify that procrastination around just starting to engage and doing the hard work. Mm. So I think you could introduce a problem you had not intended on introducing in your organization by having a large set of resources. So I might even suggest rethinking that. And again, we can't converse with you now, so I can't hear if you have any pushback for me on that. I think the job gets done really well with difficult conversations. And what I like about it, if you were to adopt that as a model, yes, the the book, book, sorry. I think that if you were to adopt it, you would find it has, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a got a lot of meat to it, but in the back is the overview of the book and particularly their model of how to engage in difficult conversations, including how to plan for one. So if you were to adopt this, adopt this in your organization, you could talk with some of your leaders about, well, let's go through what is your plan for how you're going to go about addressing this issue. Let's talk about it, plan it out. And then I'd like you to come back and let's circle back again after you have it and talk about how it went based Mm -hmm. on how you had planned on doing it. So it's the the best one I found. There certainly are other resources out there. I would just caution you not to have too many resources because then you're going to introduce another possible excuse of, well, I haven't read those books yet or I didn't have time yet to go about doing it. And you might inadvertently be creating that kind of a culture that says it's still okay to wait until you have mastered all the books or tapes or shows or whatever. The other thing I'll tell you is even if you didn't introduce anything, the most powerful thing that you could do would be to model how to have difficult conversations for you to be engaging in them as a leader, doing that courageous work and letting them get to see what those look like as they experience them with you. So funny. I was just about to say that, that the resources aside, the best thing you can do is model how it is to have difficult conversations. And a lot of organizations and leaders have the culture where they think they've had difficult conversations, but they haven't really. And so I would, and Dow, I don't know if this is true for you because we don't know you, but more so for our entire audiences, are we really engaging and modeling what it's like to, sometimes ask those difficult questions and to have that be part of our organizational culture and to engage in difficult conversations in our organization. And if we're not doing that and we don't, if we're not having conversations that are causing us to have that uncomfortable feeling like Leonardo talked on that first question and you haven't had that feeling recently, you're probably not engaging in the difficult conversations that you want to be engaging in. One of the things I think about as a parent, the sage advice, I think, is that we should be having difficult conversations in front of our children, too. Mm. And what's so sad, I think, is that many people, when they were growing up, what they saw was either the avoidance of conflict or I mean, or at least they just never saw it. It was always behind the closed doors and they never got to really see that. What 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 does conflict look like? Or they saw a really destructive, terrible kind of conflict that you would never want modeled in the workplace. But we bring into the workplace a lot of the baggage and other things from our families. There's a whole leadership theory. It's called family systems theory. But that 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 you can start to see a lot of things that show up in families are going to, of course, they're going to show up in work too. <laughs> and and so that would just be something else to think about too as you're, as you're modeling well, I hope that gives you a few things uh, to think about, uh, Dow, and uh, and let us know. Fo- uh, drop us a line and let us know what uh, is helpful and what else we can be helpful with on that too. 
So uh, let's move forward here to a question from Nathan, Bonnie. Uh, This question, uh, Nathan emailed in. He says, I'm not currently in a leadership uh, position, leadership in quotes, but I feel that I'm being called to leadership and feel that leadership and coaching is something I would enjoy long term. I wanted to ask what recommendations you would have to really start moving in this direction and to start developing those skills. I've been trying to read books and listen to uh, podcasts to get some insight, uh, but haven't really had the opportunity to hone these skills. I'm looking at going to Toastmasters to get some experience training in public speaking to get started working on something I don't feel I'm strong in. Do you have any recommendations of things like Toastmasters that I can check out or any suggestions uh, on steps I could take to improve my leadership and coaching skills? Well, let me say, first of all, Nathan, uh, good for you for listening to this show. Uh, Not a lot of people and leaders do uh, listen to shows like this. And so you're already a step ahead of the game just by investing time and resources to listen to the show. I know Bonnie has some initial thoughts and I do as well, too. You, Dave had mentioned that you put in quotes that you're not currently in a leadership position. And just so that we're using a common vocabulary here on the show, what Dave and I would probably call that is you're not currently in a management position. Management, there is the function of management that typically you would see people say a manager is responsible for planning, organizing, controlling, which is where we have made these plans, but when things don't quite go like we planned, we control for those, we make adjustments, we see where the gaps are. And then the last one that people would say managers do is to lead. And so we're just so we're clear here, when you say you're not in a leadership position, you mean you're not in a formal management position where you show up on the org chart with a box and then people reporting to you below that box. But but Dave and I, from if you've listened to the show for any time, you would know that we believe that all of us have the capacity to lead. And in fact, a lot of times those formal org charts get in the way of a lot of people feeling like, they're influencing all the time. You're influencing for the positive or for the negative all the time. I do not believe any of us are just neutrally influencing as we go about in the world and do our work. So I didn't certainly didn't mean to wordsmith your thing there, but mm, I did I'm just want to... You, you know, it's interesting because I often get emails from people who say, you know, I started listening to the show and at first I wasn't really sure about it because I'm not a leader. And, and this show is very intentionally titled Coaching for Leaders, not Coaching for Managers. Yes, there are many managers who listen to the show. In fact, the vast majority of people are managers who listen. But you and I both have this strong belief that you can lead from any position, uh, role. I mean, I think one of the most important leadership roles we have is as parents. Mm-hmm. That's the one I think about probably more than any other role that I have in life on a consistent basis. And so... Um, so I, I would really, uh, I, I would open that door to you, Nathan, and to everyone else that's part of our community of good for you for listening, but also of knowing that you can really lead from anywhere because you have the ability to influence. And we will actually answer your question yeah. here in a moment too and give you some practical resources. But I think that I'm, I'm so glad you honed in on that because that's something that's so important to say up front here. Well, and you brought up a family example of being a parent. A lot of times Dave and I will see Sometimes people think that that one of the spouses has to be the established leader or the established decision maker in a home. And this is disappointing for me, but a lot of times this comes up in people that are have some sort of a, it's a religious tie-in. So believing that, you know, one of the person and who are we kidding? The man needs to be in charge and he's the decision maker. And we couldn't and when you have people talk about it, they'll say, Oh, well, someone has to be in charge. 
If someone's not in charge, then how are things going to get decided when you can't decide together? And this is a topic for another day because it's not really your question, but absolutely things can get done when there's no leader. In fact, the great, wonderful, tremendous thing that comes out of that when you're in a mutual relationship where, yeah, if one person is better at something, then that person takes on the leadership role. Dave is much better at details and attending to (laughs) things. He sees what isn't there as far as if there's a big long list of 20 things and one of them is missing, say the numbers go from one to 20 and 17 is missing. I will miss that. And so it's a good thing that he's responsible in our household for managing not the finances as a whole, but the finances as it relates to hmm, paying bills, reconciling checkbooks, that sort of thing that that really do need a fine attention to detail. At any rate, that was a little bit of a tangent. Forgive us for, for that. But I did just want to say that in organizations, when we can get rid of some of the hierarchy for a while and start to build relationships that that do away with a little of that hierarchical power, there's some tremendous innovation that can occur in organizations, but we stifle it because of some of these power dynamics that come up. A couple of suggestions, but I think, oh, a couple of well, suggestions. Well, I do have one other thing to add to this is, is this is also the business world now too, an organizational world, you mm-hmm. know, and a lot of organizations gone are the day that you report to one person and you just do whatever they say. Um, in a lot of, I know certainly at, in our work at Dale Carnegie, my work consulting, I mean, it, there's, there's just multiple stakeholders all the time. And the reporting lines are very blurred in most organizations. Mm-hmm. Anytime I sit down with any manager these days, it's always, well, this is, and there's a dotted line here and a dotted line there. Even the org charts are all messed up these days because the world has changed. You know, we all have, we have expertise in particular areas and it's not a, it's not a hierarchical world as much anymore. I know there's exceptions in, in organizations as there should be, um, but the world is, is changing this way. So I think if, if we are able to change our paradigm of looking at things from a influence standpoint and how can I add value yeah. to people's lives? I think that that's, that's really great. So that probably should have been an own, its own episode. <laughs> so let's actually answer poor Nathan's question who probably He's has gone on to, now. who's probably gone on to another <laughs> podcast now. All right. A uh, couple of suggestions for you. One is manage a project. If you aren't going to have a formal title that says you are a manager of people, Sometimes organizations, it's safer to be a manager of a project, which is kind of sad if you think about it because projects always involve people to get them done. So it's still like you're managing people, but that's just a safer place for people to let you play and get good at it. Get really good at managing a project and making the milestones really visible and the progress along the way and have that become something that you can really demonstrate your skills Boy, if you go out there and, and do some research, we, we've talked about this on the show in the past, that's going to be a good core competence for you that will then demonstrate that uh, the potential for you in being promoted to a formal management role. On a smaller level, so much of the world is going toward having more measurable things and having the measurement of them be visual. A big thing in organizations is coming up with dashboards. Basically, it would be a one-page indicator, although a lot of times they're on the computer in some kind of a web technology or, or, or maybe an Excel spreadsheet report that, that comes out, but, but a way of visualizing what's going well and what's not going well, just like a dashboard would tell you if you need to get your oil changed or your car is getting overheated, how fast you're going, etc. Having this visual way 
of indicating either progress toward a goal if it's a project you're managing or if you're managing more on a service-oriented thing, that would be how well are you meeting your service criteria that you have and having a visual way of communicating that. So I would encourage you to think about things that you could measure in your role and then measure over time and make that a visual thing that you could start to get out there. That's a wonderful competence for you to be building that demonstrates good leadership and coaching skills that that can be a promotion opportunity for you. And lastly, I think Dave's going to touch on this a bit, but propose something in your organization, have an idea, Mm. propose it and suggest that you would be very interested in being a part of the team that made your suggestion happen. You know, I was thinking about this question in relation to a workshop I attended at a client, uh, oh gosh, maybe a year or two ago, Bonnie, and we had a senior executive for that client come in and talk to the employees. And what one of the things he said at the during that presentation is, is if you want to be a senior leader in this company, and they do use the term leadership for their managers, but he said, if you want to be a senior leader in this company, find a problem and solve it. He's like, look around at this company, look at the senior executives. They're people who have in their careers made a courageous decision to identify problems and go solve them. So Nathan, I don't know what your opportunities are. I don't know if you're working right now or not and what role you're in, but if you are affiliated with an organization, every organization has problems. Every organization has challenges of meeting those dashboard metrics. And even if you don't have a dashboard, there is something that the people who are responsible in your organization who ultimately have ownership over uh, either the organization itself or the organizational results, there's something they're being measured on. So figure out what that is and see if you can identify what the problems are. And in most organizations, this is really easy to do. You know, every organization runs into issues every day. There's things that aren't working. There's things that aren't working efficiently. There's customer service issues. Find one that you think you can add some value to. Uh, Work with people to start investigating, listening, taking the time to understand the problem, and then put together a solution and get people involved with that. And maybe even volunteer your time to do that. You know, if you're working 40 hours, you say, hey, I'm going to spend an extra two hours a week on my own time and really get this experience of starting to do some thinking and some practical work towards resolving this issue. Um, Because if you want to get into the next role, you already need to be thinking and acting like that person is in the next role now versus waiting for that opportunity. And I'm not saying you're doing this, by the way, but not waiting for that opportunity for someone just to say, okay, we think this person might be good. You want to take that action now to be the kind of person that really shows proactiveness. And if it's not possible in your organization, then I would reach out and find another opportunity in your community or maybe serve on a nonprofit board. Uh, I serve on a nonprofit board right now and I've had some great leadership experiences. Um, Bonnie, I don't know if you remember, but when you and I met, I was uh, involved with the JCs, which was a a nonprofit organization, and I had taken some time off work. I I decided for, you know... Like I wouldn't remember. Well, it was a while ago. Uh, It was, let's see, six, I don't know, nine months or so, I I stopped work to get my master's degree, and I decided during that time, I was going to be on the board of this organization, and I had a lot of great leadership experiences that happened out of that. I, I can't remember what day it is sometimes, but I remember you serving on that on that board. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but so there, there, I assure you, in your community, there are boards, nonprofits that are looking for people who are excited and passionate about giving back. And for sure, they're, 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 they've got a whole list of things that they want to do, and they need people that can 
go out in the world and can do it. And so that's a wonderful thing to do. The only thing I'd say is that if you do affiliate with a nonprofit, um, is, is to make that a sustainable commitment. Don't just show up for a couple of months, but you know, do something that you can really make a sustainable commitment to. And then finally, you mentioned Toastmasters. I was a Toastmaster for five years. Um, I just think it's a great organization. Toastmasters is a fabulous place to become a better speaker and presenter. If that is something that is in your wheelhouse is, is wanting to get better at, then I would absolutely recommend Toastmasters for that. It's great at just honing your presentation and speaking skills. Um, and if you wanted to go to Toastmasters for leadership, uh, they, they do provide opportunities for that too. But really their bread and butter is speaking and presenting. The leadership opportunities, I'd look first to your organization and look first to the community. I think that'll really provide you with some fantastic, uh, a fantastic runway to do some great things for people and, and you'll make mistakes along the way and you'll screw things up, but you'll learn from it and you'll become someone that is proven in adding value. And that is something that uh, makes you really attractive for the next opportunity. I really don't give her the questions in advance. She's just good that way. Hey, I hope that you will join the conversation as well. Maybe there's an aspect of the question you want to add in your response, or maybe you think we're out to lunch on one of our answers. We would love it if you would join the conversation as well. You'll find the questions, the notes for our responses, and all the links we mentioned at coachingforleaders.com slash 161. And you can scroll to the bottom of the page and add in your comments as well. And of course, always open to get your comments and questions for the next Q&A show as well, which will be episode 165. On that show, we're going to tackle the topic of networking. That is a topic that everyone loves to hate and is a, a struggle for a lot of us in our careers. So how do we network more effectively? So that's the topic for the next show. Again, episode 165, you can get in your question now, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Hey, a big thank you this week to those of you who subscribe to the weekly update, which the list is getting bigger and bigger each week. So thank you so much for so many people who joined this week. First and foremost, Jane Stahoviak, who I do not know, but has the same last name spelling, did not see that coming. Hello, Jane. Nice to meet you. Also, Melissa Menici, Nick Smith, Adam Tranke. Jared Wycombe, Gutu Nicolazzi, or Guto Nicolazzi, Susan Smith, Federico de Abesso, Eduardo Mifano, John Mihailo, uh, someone named Neil. Hey, Neil. Marcus Wallace, Adriana Ramirez, Tim Hill, Richard Carter, Clayton Dumcombe, Jared Gonzalez, MK, Chris Bazile, Aaron Saray, Scott Bray, Chris Bean, Karina Costa, Sean Ng, Rodney Freeman, Dow Tippett, thanks for the question, Dow, uh, Tom Kennedy, Kevin Leese, Jennifer Hammonds, David Kane, Francisco Prisotto, Marsha Roberts, Sharon Sorrow, and Jennifer Mueller. Thank you all of you for subscribing to the weekly update this past week. Hey, if you're not already getting the weekly update, it comes with all the notes for every show, the links that we mention. It also comes with an article each week from me that will help you to lead more effectively. And as we talked about in this show, 
That's all about influence, whether you're in a management position or not. And when you when you join the weekly update, you'll also get my guide to the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others, including two that I rely on every week. Uh, one of them I mentioned in the show, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, and you can get the other nine. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. If that's of interest to get that in your inbox every Wednesday, you'll start receiving that plus the guide on the leadership books. And a big thank you this week to David Wissor, first of all, who left a review on Stitcher a couple of weeks ago, and I failed to mention it already. So David, thank you so much for the really kind review. I so appreciate it. And also to Eve Oliveira, I hope I'm saying that right, Eve, on iTunes, who wrote a wonderful written review this week as well. Thank you to both of you. Hey, if you've been listening to the show for a bit and you feel like you're at the point where you can leave an honest review on iTunes or Stitcher, the place to do that, coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes and coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. And I so appreciate that. It helps to continue to grow our community and helps other folks to find this show. So thanks in advance. And I hope you have a great week. See you next week.